Deuteronomy chapter number 5 is where we're going to be tonight, if you have your Bibles. Deuteronomy 5, pastor's been looking at the, some of the history and the reasons why we, as a church, say that the King James Bible is God's inspired and preserved words for the English-speaking people. And I would say most of you, before he began the lesson, was already convinced of that, or you at least would have confessed to be convinced of it. I was one of those people, and still am. Um, But as we we go through, and as you look at the history of it, it just reaffirms what most of us have already believed. And it's it's a relief to know that we stand upon very solid ground. I'm not going to give much in defense of the Bible itself. I trust that you've already settled that. But I am going to talk a little bit tonight about what are we to do now that we have the Word of God. Way back in the uh, Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, as God gave the law to Moses and to the people of Israel, He then gave some practices that they might administer as far as handling the Scriptures. And we're going to look at a subject tonight, stewarding the Scriptures, how we, how we receive them and what we do with them. We've been... We are stewards of the Word of God. God has entrusted His Word to us, just like He has entrusted it to past generations, that they might take it and use it and preserve it. He's now given it to us, and what are we to do with it? Let's stand tonight, if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and look there at verse number 1 with me. Deuteronomy 5.1 says, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. Very simplistically and basically, he gives them four practical commands, things that they ought to do with the words that God had given unto Moses and that Moses had then given unto the nation. If you look in verse number one and jump through, he says, first of all, to hear them, and then to learn them, and then finally, toward the end of the verse, keep them and do them. So we're going we're gonna to look at those four things tonight as we think about stewarding the scriptures. Let's pray once again. Father, we thank you for the great responsibility that we have as possessors of your word. Help us to better understand some things that we ought to be doing, and as we understand them, may we put into practice these simple things that you've designed for us to be doing as you've entrusted your word to us. May you bless your people tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins tonight, or I begin tonight, with this verse number one, thinking on this simple word to hear. I've written in my notes to give attention to give an ear to. In Luke chapter 8, we're not going to turn there right now, but we have the parable of the sower. Many of you are familiar with the story where Jesus tells them a sower went out to sow. He takes his this type of wheat or grain or some type of seed that he might broadcast or spread out upon the ground. And naturally, as as he hits the sides and the corners of his field, there were different places he didn't intend necessarily for the seed to go. But it went there. There were three specific places that Jesus gives. He says the stony ground, the thorny places, 
and the wayside. That would have been the paths or the, the, the trails that men would walk on. And it would have been, he said, trampled down on the paths. And he said the thorns would, would choke out the, the seed in those thorny areas in the stony place. Obviously, the, the seed would be unable to grow. And then in the next few verses, starting in verse 11, he gives the explanation as the disciples question him on it. And he says, those were three types of hearts. One was a hard heart, one was infested with the world, and one was just unable to receive it. It was, it was busy, if you will. It, 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 was, it was on the path where it just seemed like everything stomped it out and trampled it. But in all three cases, and then finally the last case, as he says, the good and fertile and prepared soil that received the seed, but for all of them, all those hearts, it said they, this is them that hear the word. All four times he uses that same word, to hear. See, there was one command that was required in receiving the word, and it began with hearing the word. Now what you do with it is another story, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But before they could deny or reject or lose the Word of God, they had to first hear the Word of God. They had to allow it into their life. You know, if you were to go down to the hardware store and buy a bag of grass seed, and you were to take it into a bedroom in one of your rooms and begin to broadcast it on the floor, I can assure you that none of it's going to grow. And if you got done and said, I sowed some seed... Technically, you didn't really sow any seeds. You threw, it, you, know, you threw it in a place you knew it wouldn't grow. If you were to take the Bible out in the woods and begin to read and hope you know, it did the trees some good, technically you weren't really sowing the seed because there was no one to hear it. Sowing the seed requires that there's a hearer, a, a recipient. Now, part of sowing the seed is us personally getting into the Word. Never in history has the Word of God been more easily attained. If you think about the easy and inexpensive Bibles that we, we can possess or purchase, you can go down to the dollar store, I think still, and buy a Bible for a few bucks. Or you can go to a local motel and steal a Gideon's Bible out of the, the, the drawer if you're really desperate. But basically there are Bibles everywhere. Tracks are easy to come by. You can, you can order them free from many distribution centers. You can download audio Bibles and sermons and um, teachings and, and listen to it on the radio all throughout, not just America, but all throughout the world. There are radio broadcasts in different parts of every continent, besides maybe Antarctica. And if you got the right signal, maybe you can catch it there. But Bible, the, the Word of God, in some form or fashion, is easy to attain. Many of us have multiple Bibles. Some of us have more Bibles than you know that you have. If you were to look throughout the nation, I'm sure among even many worldly people on their bookshelves or on their coffee table or in a spare bedroom or in a closet, there lies a Bible. The Bible is very easy to come by in our day. I think we take it very, for granted very easily and, and far too often. For there are many generations that have gone by where the Bible is very difficult to come by. I was talking to our teens Sunday morning and I made a reference to what was known as the Great Bible. It was one of the first printings of the, the King James Bible, and it was a very large, it was bigger than most of those family Bibles that, you, that maybe you've seen. Too big to just throw under your arm and bring to church. It wasn't the, your typical soul winner's Bible. And then in some of these churches, when they finally got a copy of it, 
they would have to chain it. Sometimes they would have a podium down here in the front and they'd literally have to chain it to the podium to keep it from being stolen because the Word of God was so precious. And it was a desired thing because for decades and even centuries, people were born and they grew and they learned to read, but they never had a Bible in their language. And then in 1611, when our King James Bible was introduced, and though it took on many forms in that time, it became something that was covenanted and, and desired and envied. But now we have them all over the place. We have old ones, we have new ones, we have small ones, we have big ones. Now when we go to the store, we're not really concerned too much about you know, what type of font it is, unless you're getting older and you need it to be big. You, you look at the cover and you say, you know, is this a pretty cover? Does this have a, a, a nice design? The Bible's everywhere. But it, more than just having it in our possession, more than just having a copy of it, there's a great need to be a recipient of it and receive it. There are three, really ty- three types of ways that God has given his word to us. The first way is a direct word. Look there in chapter number 5 and verse number 4. The Bible says, The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. If you were to read through this chapter, you'd find that in the first place, God, was, God wanted to speak to Israel like he spoke to Moses. We only think about him speaking to Moses. But if you were to jump down later in this chapter, here's what they said. They said, now therefore, why should... I'm sorry, verse number 25. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. They, the, the, the fear of God's word, not a fear as much as a, a, a scared, like you'd be scared of something that that brings fright to you, but a, a great reverence to the power and authority of the Word of God. They said, we are fearful of it. And they asked this question in verse 26, For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? They, they said, we're convinced that if we hear God again, we're going to end up dying from it. The power and the authority of the Word of God caused them to tremble. And so they told Moses, they said, Moses, you go and you listen to God and then you come tell us what he said and we'll hear it. And and by the way, uh, as far as the, if you continue reading in verse number 28, it says, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. God was okay with that. But God was willing to speak directly to these people. We find that Moses spoke directly with God. You remember the story where it talks about Enoch walking with God. If you think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they fellowshiped one-on-one with God. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. There were times when God directly spoke to people. Now, I'm convinced according to the Word of God, that God does not speak like that anymore, regardless of some of these, you know, radio or TV evangelists that say God, you know, appeared unto them and spoke to them, especially the, uh, what they claim happened after that. Anytime you see God speaking, you see a great fear and overwhelming uh, feeling that came over these people throughout Scripture when they they saw or saw the the glory of God or, or heard His voice. 
But God was willing to speak directly to men. By the way, not in the same way, but through the Holy Spirit, God's willing to speak to us today. I don't believe He gives us new revelation as far as the Word of God's concerned, but He gives us direction. He gives us wisdom. He gives us help as we ask questions throughout our life. Then God spoke also indirectly. We see this also with Moses. As he spoke directly to God, but indirectly through Moses, as Moses took the word and gave it unto the people. Sometimes we call this prophecy throughout Scripture. Sometimes a foretelling, where he, just, he, he spoke forth the word of God. Or a foretelling, where he told of current, uh, events that would come. And then finally, what we have today is the printed word where we can read the Bible. God's Word has been preserved for us. We find it in this King James Bible. And the first priority is to hear it. Now we'll look in just a moment of a couple things that we could do to better hear the Word of God. But I would encourage you tonight, before we go any further, to really evaluate your own life and say, am I hearing the Word of God? Am I allowing the Word of God to enter into me? Now you might say, well, of course, I'm here on a Wednesday night, I'm listening to the Word of God read and preached and we sang about it a moment ago. But as you go day by day in your normal routine, are you allowing, with all these opportunities and all these resources, are you allowing the Word of God to enter into you? God said His Word was like bread, the bread that came down from heaven. It was like that manna. And as we consume it, it fills us spiritually. It, 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 fill, it feeds our spiritual hunger. Can you imagine if you only ate when you read your Bible? For some of you, you might come in rejoicing and you know, talk about the, the, the great diet plan it was. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully some of us would gain weight, Right? Because as we read the Word of God, that gives us liberty to eat. But if you only ate when you come to church, I, I have a feeling that by tomorrow morning and throughout the day, and especially by Friday, you'd be awfully hungry. And come Saturday, you'd really be hungry. But sometimes we allow just a, a sermon here or there, or a Sunday meal, spiritual meal, and then a Wednesday night meal to be sufficient in our life. And it, and it ought not to be enough. So number one, we hear the word of God. Number two, he tells us to learn. Look at, look at verse number one again in chapter five of Deuteronomy. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them. Let's turn over to the New Testament and look at a couple places. First of all, in Matthew chapter 13, this is another account of the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13. And verse number 23. It says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. Matthew chapter 13, 23. He said it's important to hear, but if you don't understand it, it's hard to let it influence your life. Just hearing it audibly is insufficient. Just reading it with your eyes, in many cases, is insufficient. Because all of us have been guilty of uh, listening to someone talk, and after a few minutes, 
we just hear this kind of mumble and then you can't really hear anything and then all of a sudden you realize they've asked you a question and you're not really sure what to do, right? I, I, somebody, I was chatting with someone about that today and they said they heard on the radio that the average conversation lasts three minutes where the, per, the other person is listening. After three minutes, it's just, a, it's just an inaudible mumble or I guess an audible mumble, but a, just a moan that's coming out of their, their mouth. Sometimes we can do that with preaching where all of a sudden you realize you've been daydreaming You've been just kind of staring off. It looks like you're listening, but you're really not. You're thinking of, you know, what i got to do when I get home and what I did today. Some of you are feeling guilty right now. Sometimes we're reading our Bible. I've done this where, you know, you, you start here in Matthew 13, and you start on verse 1, and you get to verse 18. And if someone was to walk in and say, I'll give you $1,000 if you can tell me what the passage is about that you just read, You'd have to turn it down because you have no idea. I've done that before. Where you're reading the words, the words may even be coming out of your mouth, they're, they're going into your eyes, but you're not really comprehending them. You're not receiving them into your heart. You're not learning anything. Turn over to, to Timothy. We're going to look at several verses here. Paul talks to Timothy much about this subject regarding the Word of God and receiving it and studying it. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 in verse number 4, he says, Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. In order for a person to be saved, they must have a knowledge of the truth. It must be understood by them. They must understand the truth of the gospel. Nobody gets saved without understanding the gospel. Look at chapter 2 and verse... Um, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. A familiar verse to most of us, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word, of, uh, the word of truth. He says, study it so that you can correctly divide it, so you understand it, so you're not taking things out of context. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, make sure you're continuing this learning process. It doesn't end at some point in your life. You continue it. You continue to learn. You continue to receive. And make sure, he says, that you know who you're learning it from. If someone outside has given you advice, make sure you know it's a good source that you're receiving it from. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 7 says, I have, and just to put it into context here, this is where we find the verse, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Paul's literally ready to perish. He's ready to die. He's, he feel like, he, and he was right, he felt like he was at the end of his earthly mission, his earthly course as a believer. And look at what he says in verse 13. As an old man, ready to depart, he says, the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. He said, bring my cloak and the books, but especially the parchments. Now, I don't know, maybe those books were, you know, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes or some mystery novel or some series, but I doubt it, right? I feel like these books were some kind of writings that came maybe from Peter's epistles, maybe from the, the, the disciples' writings, maybe the gospels that were, had been put together thus far. I don't know exactly what they are, but I know this, that Paul, as an old man, as a leader in a, a, a very godly, what we would call the, the first or the greatest missionary of the New Testament, 
As an old man, he still wanted to be learning. He said, I'm not finished studying truth. The Bible is an inexhaustible book. Therefore, reading and hearing is not enough. We must be learning. And that's really the the calling of a disciple. Stay here in Timothy, but I'm going to read once again back in Deuteronomy. Chapter 5 and verse 1, he said to hear the things that I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep them. Thirdly, he says, I'm commanding you to keep them. I thought immediately of the words of the New Testament as as we find this phrase or this combo of words multiple times where he says, hold fast. He says, endure. Hold, Hold tightly to something. Look at You're in 2 Timothy. Look at uh, chapter number 4 in verse um, number 1. He says, uh, I charge thee therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing of his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now he's telling this to Timothy as a a pastor, as a preacher. But look at verse 3. For the time will come. It was definite. It will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will not want truth. They, won't, they, they will not want the, the sound doctrine of the Word of God. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Not only will they not want truth, but they will want, they, they'll want to be entertained. They'll want someone to just make them feel good. They'll want to come to church and leave the same way they came, except they want to be smiling when they leave. And he said, because of that, there'll be men who will come, teachers, they'll heap to themselves teachers with itching ears, a phrase he uses to say, basically, whatever the people want, he'll, he'll, he'll give them. Whatever they say, he'll, he'll give them. Obviously not the, the instructions of a shepherd. A shepherd doesn't give the sheep always what they want, because what they want sometimes will get them killed. If you know anything about raising livestock... You've maybe heard of stories where um, they've gotten into feed bins. If you know anything about sheep or cows or horses, they'll literally kill themselves. They'll eat, they'll eat so much. It's not healthy for a shepherd to allow his flock to do what they will. It'll end up destroying them. As a pastor, as a, as a teacher, as a leader, just like the responsibility of a parent... It's not best for you to give your children everything they want. It's not best for a pastor to lead a church in the ways that they may deem desiresome when it, when it applies to their lust and their own feelings. We need to stick to the Word of God, but it, it requires us to, once we hear the Word of God, to learn the truth, but then to hold on to it. Look at one more verse there in chapter number 4. In verse number 4 it says, "...and they shall turn away their ears from the truth." And shall be turned unto fables. Look at verse 5 also. He says, But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He says, But watch in all things. He says, Be ready for this. Hang on to the truth. And don't back down regardless of what people may want or desire. Turn back a couple pages to 1 Timothy. Again in chapter number 1. In verse number 6. Similar words or similar ideas as he says in verse 6. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling or empty talk. They've, they've swerved. 
They've gone around the truth. They've gone away from the truth. They've strayed. And now they just, they ramble on about things that really aren't biblical, really aren't sound doctrine. You're pretty close to it. I'm going to look over in Hebrews, just a few more pages to the right. Hebrews chapter number 2, another familiar verse to many. And a truth we ought to all receive. He says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. There's a great danger of possessing the truth. And that's the danger in losing it and allowing it to slip. It's important that we hear. That's where it all begins. It's vital that we're learning. But there's a a great need that we hold fast. Because what we learn can be lost. It's imperative for the believer to hold fast to the truths of Scripture. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Receive it, gain it, but hold on to it. Finally, if we, we're not going to turn back there just yet, but in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he gives a fourth thing. And that should come as no surprise. He says to do what, he, what we've, God's commanded you. As we hear the Word of God, as we learn the Word of God, as we hold on to the Word of God, we must be obeying the Word of God. I'm going to look at a story in the book of Jeremiah. One of, I enjoy the, the story or the words that Jeremiah gave. There's one incident that occurs in chapter number 36. That's just a great picture of what can happen to those who've reached the point in their life where they're not interested in truth. In Jehoiakim's reign, if you were to look at verse 1, it tells us that the son of Josiah, king of um, Judah at the time, Jeremiah hears the word of the Lord. This was that direct line he received from God. And then in verse number 4, it says, Then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah, and Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So if you get the picture here, Jeremiah has received from God a word for the nation of Judah. So he goes and gets his, what we might consider to be his, his scribe or his, his helper, and he, see, he gets this barrack and he says, come, come listen, I have something from God, I need you to write it down. And Jeremiah begins to preach. And Barak begins to handwrite these things upon a type of scroll, this type of roll, it says in verse number 4. Verse number 5 says, And Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up, I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Not I am shut up as in I'm not talking anymore, but he said, I, I, I've got restrictions upon where I can go. He was a man that you, you find him being put in prison. Uh, they, they attempted or... Uh, conspired to kill him. And he says, you take the role, you take these words, and you declare them to Judah. And the Bible says he went about to do that. And then some of the servants of the king heard these words, and they, they reverenced them, they desired to receive them. It says in verse number 15, And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Barak read it in their ears. Now it came to pass, when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one another, and said unto Barak, We will surely tell the king of all these words. 
So they go to the king with this message. And if you look in verse number 20, it says, And they went into the king, into the court. But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll. And he took it out of Elishama the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes that stood beside the king. And the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month. And there was a fire burning on the hearth. Uh, there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. So if you get the picture, they, they lay the scroll aside. They come in and they tell the king, here's what Jeremiah has just told us. And he begins to inquire them and he says, we have this scroll, this roll of words. And he says, go fetch it for me. And, and he goes and he grabs it and they bring it and they, they begin to verbatim read the word that had been given from God unto the king. And for most of us, we would imagine that there would be concern, there would be fear, there may be rejoicing. By the way, if you caught the first verse, this is the son of Josiah. You remember what happened when Josiah found the word of God. He rent his clothes and he said that what we've been doing has been contrary to what God wants. And in repentance, they made things right. When he receives the word says in verse number 23, And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he being the king, we'll look at that in just a minute, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. And look at verse 24, Yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. So the king, if you were to look over in some other verses um, throughout the, the rest of this chapter, 30, um, one being, uh, 30 being one of them, Therefore thus saith the, the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit upon his throne of David, and his body shall be cast out uh, in the day of heat. This was the, the payment or the punishment because of what he had done, the, not just the burning of the word, but the refusal to hear Verse 32 says, Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it unto Barak, the, the, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned in the fire. So that it was rewritten not to be given to the king anymore. But here this king takes a knife and begins one by one. I feel like I've seen this recently. One by one to rip up these pages in defiance, in refusal to hear, in disrespect, and burns them one by one in the fire till the whole roll was consumed. Now, for many of you, you think about that and it kind of frustrates you. And you think, you know, what, what, a, what a sinner. What, a, what, what kind of king would do such a thing? What kind of individual, what kind of human would do such a thing? But how much better are we when we have the Word of God before us and maybe we too read it. And maybe it pierces our heart, but we refuse to act upon the Word of God. No, we don't rip the pages out and throw them in the fire. But our defiance says the same thing as we say no to God. See, there's a, there's a need to do more than just read and understand and even claim that, yes, we have the Word of God and to hold on to that truth. We've got to act upon the truths of the Word of God. 
James chapter 1 gives us that example of a mirror. The Bible is like a mirror. We look into the perfect law of liberty and it reveals things in our life. And we have an opportunity to either be a forgetful hearer or what he says, a doer of the work. We see the needs, we see the opportunities, we see the commands of Scripture, and we must act upon them. If you would turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 5. Verse number 31 continues these thoughts that came from the people. He says, But as for thee, stand thou here by me, and I will speak unto thee all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which thou shalt teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. Look at verse number 32, Deuteronomy 5, 32. You shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live and that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. He said, I've given you my word, not just so you could have the status of saying, I heard the word of God, but that you might do it, that you might obey it. Several years back, when I was in high school, me and another gentleman were out doing some door-to-door visitation, inviting people to church, and don't take this wrong if you have or currently live in a trailer, but we were in a trailer park, and you find some usual strange individuals there. Some good people too, but often, at least every few, you find a strange one. And we found that strange one that night. It was an evening, and we went to a door, and there was one of those real small porches, you know, not much bigger than this rug that's up here. And the pathway on the porch was much more narrow because of the wall of beer cans that surrounded the left side in the corner. We thought, here's a winner. What what are we getting ourselves into? And we went up and knocked on the door, And a man stuck his head out of the door that greatly resembled the last few, one of the last images while Saddam Hussein was hiding, that real rough and rugged look and big bearded and messed up hair. And I don't know if he was intoxicated at the moment, but it wouldn't have surprised me if I, if I found out he was. And the man I was with wasn't much bigger than me, but I knew I could outrun him, so I had my, you know, where you have your foot right about here on the first step. And we began to talk with this man, and there was a few things he said that have been stuck in my head for over a decade now, so almost 15 years, I'd say, or maybe more than that. It was shortly after the 9-11 terrorist attack, so the, all those talking points were in the news. And I can't remember why he made reference to this, but he mentioned a country that I'm unaware of still to this day where it's at. He said something about the country of Afghanistan. I suppose it's somewhere between Africa and, you know, Afghanistan. But I still haven't found it on the map. That was something we laughed about for a long time. But he said something else that changed my life. As we began to witness to him and talk about the Word of God, he made this statement. He said the only reason the Bible was written was to keep people from eating each other. Uh, he really said that. And he, he acted like he meant it. 
And I'd never heard that before. I was joking about it changing my life. I don't believe the Bible was written just to keep people from eating each other, although it may have helped at, at certain times and in certain places. No, the Bible is much more than that. Right? The Bible is God's word given unto man that he might know how to govern his own life, and not just his own personal life, but that he might govern his family. It gives instructions for how a wife ought to act and how a mother ought to mother her children. It gives instruction on how the children ought to act and how a government ought to act and how the people of a government ought to act. It gives instructions for how you ought to treat your neighbors and how you ought to treat your boss and how a boss ought to treat his employees. It gives wisdom regarding our finances. It gives us hope in time of trouble. It gives us relief in our sin. It gives us the promise of the Messiah and the fulfillment of that promise. The Bible is a book that covers all bases. I remember hearing a preacher say this. He said when he was young, he was going through kind of a rebellious point in his life. And his mom used to say, every question you have is in the Bible. And he said, oh yeah, well, well, well how do I screw in a light bulb? And he said, go ask your dad. He'll show you where it's at. You know, some, some questions aren't quite as cut and dry as those. But there's wisdom for every question your life has within the Word of God. The Word of God is what keeps marriages together and keeps families in stru- uh, with structure and intact. The Word of God gives us understanding on how our friendships ought to be and to whom we ought to be friends with and how we ought to treat them. Every point in our life, from childhood and throughout adolescence and young adulthood, all the way up to retirement, it gives us wisdom regarding how a man ought to retire. The Word of God has been given to us for every point and every purpose of our life. We're to read it. We ought to be learning it. And we sure ought to hold fast to it. But there ought to be a priority to obey it. A failure to obey the commands of Scripture causes the listening, learning, and keeping to become a vain expenditure of our time. What's the point in reading and learning and understanding and holding to something if we're not going to follow it? Now, I understand that some of the the, the teachings of the Word of God are not easy in the day we live in. The abstinence of impure things we find difficult when everywhere you turn there's things regarding immorality. The Bible tells us to speak evil of no man. It's hard to do that with every conversation, it seems like, in the world, being to destroy the man next to you. See, the, 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 the Bible's commands and truths oppose this world's systems. And you have to either decide, am I going to follow the truth of the Word of God, or I'm, am I just going to become a victim of the world system? You see, that's what happened to um, Lot in the Old Testament. There in Sodom... The, 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 the things he saw, the things he heard, the things that were going on around him vexed his soul night and day. Day by day, the Bible says, it vexed him. And it began to influence him. And before long, he had lost his own personal influence with his children. He lost the respect of his wife. He lost the integrity of his own soul because the world had drawn him away from the truths of the Word of God. If we're not obeying the Word of God, quite frankly, we're disobeying it. 
There's really no middle ground. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's an amazing thing we live in where, and you're not unaware of this, where so many churches are just are, are going as far extreme to the, the left is over here, to the left, right? To, the, to, to contrary to everything that's being traditional and biblical and sound because of those itching ears, those, that desire to please men. They, they feel like people aren't really interested in truth, so we're just going to give them entertainment. And I say tonight, we don't need to be entertained. We don't need to be, uh, leave here just feeling good. We need to receive the truth because, as Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's not freedom in entertainment. There's not freedom in just a social club. There's freedom within the Word of God and the truths of Scripture. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here on a Wednesday night. But I think it's vital as we consider the Word of God, as we consider the fact that we do hold the Bible in our hand, that we make it a priority and we remind ourselves of the value to obey it. That begins in the home as parents lead their children, and they talk about these things. I think it's vital that husbands and wives talk about the things that uh, maybe are influencing their children or even influencing themselves. What kind of entertainment are we going to let into our home? What kind of reading material are we going to allow our children to be a part of? What are the things that we're going to do? What are, where are the places that we're going to go? And do they fall in line with the Word of God? When we make the, the Bible the final authority it does away with a lot of question areas, a lot of gray areas. You don't have to worry about those things. By the way, there are some things that as we study the Word of God, there are some, is this right or is this wrong areas? And as the teachings of Scripture always give us, it gives you the, the liberty to say, you know, I'm just going to pull myself a little further away from what might be worldly. Maybe it's not sinful, maybe it's not um, opposing truth, but it's kind of gray. I'm not really sure about it. Let's just not even do it. The Bible gives us that standard, it gives us that direction, it gives us that clarity and that light. Let me make just four practical applications and we'll, we'll be done. Number one, the Bible should be a daily part of your life and mine. It should be daily, it should be consistently, daily. First of all, you've got to prioritize it. Make a place and a time for reading. Commit to being at church. Take, take time out to maybe listen to audio recordings or, or sermons or, or teachings outside of just your, your normal scheduled church attendance. Prepare. Add prayer with the Word of God. Make sure you're confessing. Make times where you're alone and quiet that you might truly read and then proceed or practice it where it, it becomes a habit, a, a daily habit in your life. So first of all, the Bible should be a daily part of our life. Secondly, we must invest time and energy into seasons of study. There ought to be individual study that every believer puts into their own life. Not because they're asked to do it, not because... You know, they're studying for a lesson, but they take it upon themselves to say, what is this and how am I going to understand it more fully? Now, for some people, maybe you're here tonight and you say, I've never done that. I would encourage you to do, just pick, pick a portion of Scripture. Don't pick the, you know, 
the genealogy of anybody, maybe a Bible story or a teaching of Jesus or a, a, maybe one of the epistles, and just take a handful of verses, start a, a, a chapter and go to the first uh, paragraph and say, I'm going to read these few verses, and there's just a few questions you could ask yourself, very basic study. You could say, first of all, who's talking? Secondly, who is it talking to? What did they do with what they received? And how does it apply to me? That's very basic, but as you do that, you begin to become more familiar with characters in the Bible. You you begin to uh, realize what the setting is, what's taking place, and most importantly, how it applies to me. Make seasons, and, and you don't have to do this every day. You don't have to do it for, you know, several years straight. But I would encourage you to take, set aside time that you say, I'm going to start studying a particular matter. Maybe it's a subject. Maybe you just pick a word, one of the attributes of God. You say, I'm going to study God's love, and I'm going to look up references regarding the love of God and how it applies to me. Individual study. There ought to be times where we study with our family. And then corporate study. I'd encourage you to be at the, at the Sunday school hour where we, we just gather and study the Word of God. When there are opportunities for Bible studies, the ladies meet for Bible studies, there's, there's different opportunities for discipleship. I would encourage you to make time and set aside time and devote energy to Bible study. Number three, con, uh, controversial and practical Bible doctrines must be examined and decided. Don't wait till the question is, what do you believe on this matter, before you've decided it. Don't wait till someone leaves the church because they disagree with a certain thing to say, I wonder how I believe that, or what what I believe on that subject. There's a need for all of us to look at some of the things that have impacted the lives of people and say, what do I feel about this subject? Not not necessarily my own feelings, but what does the Bible say about this, and how am I going to act upon it? So many people throughout not just our church history, but throughout Bible history and, and, and world history and American history, they've come to points in their life where it got very difficult. And instead of going to the Word of God and standing upon truth, they just ran with the crowd or they ran from the crowd. And sometimes running is okay, but when it comes to doctrine and biblical truth, running is never an option. There's a need to stand upon truth. How can we do that? We can make the Bible our final authority, number one. We can associate ourselves with like-minded believers. Now, there are people I listened to uh, last night coming home. I I got off work kind of late, and I listened a little bit to um, Chuck Swindle on the radio. I don't agree with everything old Dr. Chuck says. I don't agree when he uses the NIV and reads from it, or whatever version he reads from. But there's a lot of truth that he delivers that I I do agree on. And so I don't mind listening to him. There are some people I don't listen to on the radio. Um, People that are known for their their, uh, lack of doctrinal discernment. And I I avoid those people. Because I I don't want to be mixed up with things that may sound good, but aren't truth. But associate yourself with like-minded believers. Allow the things that come into our life, one of them incorporating outside materials that strengthen your biblical stand, whether it be a commentary or a, a devotion guide, 
But make sure they're, they're coming from a good source. Men or women who stand upon the Word of God. Finally, obedience to the Scripture is the only way we experience its full potential of both power and blessing. If you are going to experience the goodness of God through His Word, it requires you to act, to obey it. Just knowing it will not change your life. Just possessing it and having a copy will not influence your life. There's a need to receive it and to obey it. As we read, there ought to be moments where we just read passages. I think all of us ought to read through the Bible every year. I don't, if, you're a, if you're in about the third or fourth grade or above, there's no reason why reading through the Bible every year shouldn't be something you practice. And I, so, I know some of you would say, well, I'm not much of a reader. It's funny how you, know, you make your seventh grade son or daughter, that, that's a, not an, a, a liable or, or usable excuse. But parents are okay to use it. Well, I'm not much of a reader. You know, let, let Junior say that when he comes home with a book report and says, I don't think I'm going to read this whole book, Dad. I'm not much of a reader. Right? It's not going to work. I want to encourage you as parents, as teenagers, let's get into the Word of God. Let's read it. Let's read through it. But as we read through it, let's pull out passages and say, I'm going to really, really get to the bottom of this. I'm going to, by, the, by the time I get finished with this, I'm really going to know it. And then I'm going to live it. Evaluate your life in the light of Scripture, whether it be your personal life, yourself, our marriages, our friends, our family, our finances, our entertainment, our church membership. All things ought to be in the light of Scripture. When we stand upon truth, we allow it to affect us and change us. We're able to find God's perfect will in the light of His Word.